Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Mystical Motherhood Podcast. I have a guest on today named Sierra Burton, and I love what she has to say because she is a life coach for moms who are going through transition. And I started this podcast and I started my books, Mystical Motherhood Fertile and Alchemy of Becoming, because I found that in myself and with many, many women around the world, as you go into motherhood, you have the opportunity for spiritual transformation. Not just spiritual transformation, but the transformation in all parts of your life. And if you don't take it, you kind of go into a crisis. Or some people do. Some people, you know, maybe do it before they have a baby, but I don't really know that many. And either it comes with challenging infertility or it comes with, you know, balancing your work and your mother, you know, be, being a mother. It's, you know, and a lot of it is what I've talked about a lot in this podcast is being out of our nature, women being out of our, you know, the nature of being a female. And when you do have children, you're, you're faced with that of like, well, what am I, I'm living in this world as a man, but in reality, I'm the creator of, I'm the portal for these beings. How do I balance my own personal needs with my husband's or with my partners or with my friends and all, you know, and and my spiritual longing? That's how I mean most people see it. And so when people come to me, they're usually having this existential crisis or they're really needing to find this balance. And I personally had to go through it to be able to teach it. And Sierra is another one of those people. And she... And I had an amazing conversation. She has this really deep, deep energy. And there's very few people when I'm, when I speak to them on the podcast that I'm actually like, I can feel their energy. So she's embodied it. And I really love that about her. And she teaches women everywhere. And she she has a program, actual program for women to move through things, which is what you really do need. One session doesn't really do it though. You know, that sometimes that's what people need to get going. But programs help you embody the different parts of yourselves, you know, making sure that you're, you're healthy internally, or you have the right friendships, or you know how to balance your job, or you know how to interact with your partner, and also how to clear how so you can see that the conditioning from your past is creating your present. And sometimes patterns are so easy for other people to see that are, you know, kind of conscious of them. Oh, well, this is this is why this is being created right now. If you just change this, that'll change. Now, someone can point it out for you, but you have to make those changes. And so that's why coaches and people like Sierra and even Mystical Motherhood are vital for your family and for your own well-being. Because if you're not happy, then the babies can't be happy and everyone's going to be in anxiety and and you know, you know, you know how your house is run. It's like we need support from each other. So all of Sierra's information is in the notes. If you want to contact her or you have any questions, I thought it was a lovely conversation. I'm actually going to have her on again. If you have any questions for me, please reach out to me at mysticalmotherhood.com. My name is Chelsea, but I publish under the name Pritam Atma as an alias for now. You can find me on Instagram at Mystical Motherhood. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you do, leave a review. Hi, Sierra. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm so happy to be here. How are you? Red, I'm really good. Awesome. Um, I want to hear about what you do 
and how you help women and how long you've been doing it, like a little bit about your background. Oh my gosh. Thank you for asking. I have been in personal development coaching and training since 2009. So a long time, but I didn't do the work that I'm doing now until after I was in a moment of what I would call a dark night of the soul experience and becoming a mother. And it wasn't until I was a few years after my postpartum experience that I decided to devote myself to the healing of the woman and the mother. And so I've been in this field of work for about five years now, and I solve anxiety and uncertainty in the modern mother who's feeling disconnected to herself, her soul, and her purpose. So it ultimately is a heart offering from me to humanity because the work I do with women is full of all the things that I needed at that time from someone else in my healing journey that I wasn't able to receive or experience. And so now I offer that integrative approach to women. And I work with women who are rewriting the next chapter of their lives, maybe in their fifties and their kids are grown. And I work with most of my clientele base is women with young children, um, you know, under the age of, of 12, many of whom still have children who, you know, are newborns all the way up to five, seven, and nine years old. And my children are right around that age um, of nine and six. So yeah, it's so heart fulfilling because the piece that I found was missing for me at that time is the soul piece, right? So in teaching personal development, there's so many ways you can think your way through hardship, right? I teach a concept called mind management. I teach people how to organize their mind, how to get out of the past, which is where depression lives, and how to get out of the future, which is really where anxiety lives. So I teach mind management, right? But there was a missing piece of that. I couldn't mind management my way out of postpartum anxiety and depression, even though I was teaching and training others in this. I couldn't do it. It's because I was missing the connection to my soul and to the me that I was on the other side of a traumatic birth experience, on the other side of a NICU stay, on the other side of a colicky baby, on the other side of, in a way, almost needing to come into right relationship with my creator after these profound experiences. I needed to do more than the mind management work, more than the healing of my physicality. I needed to reconnect to my soul. So when you did this, when you reconnected your soul, what was your path of getting there? And what was, you know, because there's all these spiritual paths we take and, you know, like there's a lot. What worked the best for you? Wow. Um, Thank you for asking. Um, Well, to tee up how I want to answer this, I really just want to say that I was really in this place. I grew up, I grew up knowing God through the church. I grew up knowing God through the church. And when my parents were going through a divorce, I remember writing in my journal, dear God, are you even real? Is what I learned about you true? And if there's a greater purpose for my life than this, than hiding in my closet while my parents argue downstairs, I was probably nine at the time. Please reveal that to me. And so Up until this dark night of the soul moment after I had my own children, I would say that I was parented by what I knew to be my heavenly father, right? I felt like I received direct divine guidance in my journal entries to God. When I was going through a breakup, I would write letters, you know, dear God, 
I'm struggling. You know, I'm not sure how to navigate this relationship. I feel like it needs to come to an end. I know I'm worth more than this. I can see how this relationship is a manifestation of my relationship to my dad. You know, please allow me the courage to leave. And I would receive wisdom, you know, from asking the questions. Well, when I became a mom or when I was going through my birth experience, I um, was in the transition phase of birth and I was feeling like I couldn't connect to that higher power. Like I was, I was desperate and I felt I was in an experience of suffering. And so I was praying and I was intending to connect yet I was feeling so alone and I was feeling so lost and almost as if I was facing my own death. Right. So it was, it was really dramatic for me in that moment because what I visualize is this past version of me, like grasping for help, like crying out for help and feeling like no one, nothing was there to save me. And my midwife kept reminding me like, this is birth. Essentially, I was going through what I now know to be an ego death. And what I knew the calling forward was because I was stuck in transition, which is the hardest part of, of labor for hours. I knew the calling forth was to surrender and I couldn't figure out how to do that, right? Because there's so many of us women and mothers, we just want to know exactly what we need to do to surrender. But it's it's not something you can do. It's something you have to fall into. It's an energetic experience of letting go. And I didn't know how to do that in the moment. And so there was a time in this experience where it got so hard that finally I just said, I'm done. I can't do it anymore. And I literally surrendered into, in a way, my own death. And it was that point where the labor picked up and the baby started to come through. And what I saw really in my, my mind's eye was this, this crack of light was emerging and I knew, so there was no voice I heard. I just knew I had a knowing that I had to walk through. I had to walk through that crack. I had to fit through that crack. And what that meant was I needed to leave the past behind and enter into like this new iteration of me. And so I had to go, right? The baby was coming. I had to move through it. So I saw myself walking toward the crack and still feeling like God had left me, but I kept moving toward the light and the baby came through. And then at the end of the birthing experience, he had rapid breathing. So we ended up in the NICU. I didn't get to unpack all that happened. So it was like a couple of weeks before I got to like replay this. And finally, you know, as I'm taking care of this newborn as a new mother, there was this moment of like, what happened and how am I doing? I need to check in with myself. And I was so confused. I was like, who is God? Is what I know about God real? Is it not real? Am I really just doing this life alone? Who am I? Who am I not? What happened here? So I went on this like eight month journey of like really answering these tough questions and I knew I was in a relationship, a new relationship with surrender. Thought I knew, quote, how to surrender. Not realizing you can't know how to surrender. You have to fall into grace. Grace is an experience. Realizing grace, you have to fall into it. It's like a trust fall, like you've never, you've never experienced before. It's a falling into surrender. It's a, a letting go of all that you thought you knew and starting over. And so that that really was my reconnection to God. And now I feel I'm in 
what I call right relationship with my creator because I'm actively in this dialogue, asking the questions, receiving the answers, doing my own work to connect to my heart, which the seat of the soul is in the heart center. So the heart center, the chakra center is where the soul resides. So I'm regularly doing my heart work. And what that means is I'm actively getting out of my busy brain and out of the transactional, you know, to-do list checking, which there's a lot to do, you know, in raising two children and running a business, there's always a lot to do. But the number one thing I place my focus on is getting out of the mind and getting into the heart and I'm connecting to my soul. And in that process of just connecting and asking myself, what is it that I need now? What is it that I need now? What is it that I need to do now? And I sit in those questions and I just get curious. And that takes me into a direct connection with my creator. And that's where I know to find, that's where I can find peace. And that's where I can find like that next right action I know I need to take now, be it in my home, be it in my business, be it in my personal life. And that's, that is where I found right relationship with God. And that's where I've found peace out of that dark experience. Thank you for sharing. I had a lot of questions that came up as you were talking about that. So when you're commute, I have a few questions and they can go into like the next set, but when you're communicating with God so people can understand it, is it like, can you sit down? And I mean, I know the answer for myself, but I'm curious yeah. what you t- teach and how you teach it. Is it you're, you're writing a question down and, and do you allow, I, when I communicate, I often write a letter sometimes, and then I use a symbol and I say like an eagle or something like a sunflower. And then in the real world, that symbol will come through when I'm speaking with God or something like that mm-hmm. um, as an answer or something. Now, when when you're teaching this, is that how you say it or is, does it come in free form writing? That's one question I have. Mm-hmm. And then also with the surrender part, when you're seeing this with women that you work with, that that example of surrender with the birth that you had, and you see other people going through that, what are some of the examples that you've seen with your clients as they create this communication with God and as they surrender? Oh, this is so good. Okay. So how do I communicate with God? And then you might have to remind me of the the next question. So I think we all have, I think God lives in all things. You know, I'm deeply fascinated by the intersection of religion and spirituality. So let me just give you one sentence differentiation between the two, because I think people on the planet right now want to make sense of that. And religion is the modality of study. You know, for me, it would be the Bible. That's one of my tools. But I also look to the Yoga Sutras, you know, and there's many overlaps in a lot of ancient books. My intention is to draw forth wisdom, wisdom from within me. So religion would be the modality of study for me or the rooms I put my body in, be it a Bible study, be it a church, be it a, you know, a deep philosophical conversation. Religion is the modality of study. Spirituality is my direct individualized experiences of communing with God, of communing with the divine. So when I put my hand on my heart and and my hand on my belly, and I ask myself the magic question, and this is a magic question in the course and in the work that I do, I encourage women to hear the voice within, call it your higher self, call it 
the Holy Spirit moving within you. Call it spirit. Call it God. It doesn't really matter the name. I feel like there's one voice. There's one voice that stands out beyond all of them. And that's what I encourage women to get in touch with because that voice will be your inner guidance system when you're moving through the hardest times in your life. And most people don't know that voice because they've been too busy trying to live the life other people wanted them to live, trying to live the life they thought they should be living, that they're working hard to build this life that is not in a And there's all these voices, right, in their minds telling them, go here, you should be doing this, you shouldn't be doing that, right? Cancel, 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 cancel. We've got to connect to the voice of wisdom within. Doesn't matter what label you put to it. And that is spirituality. Connecting to that, that, that guidance system that was gifted to all of us. We all have the ability to do that. So I think that's important to realize that the way in which one can can connect can be so different, right? So I connect in nature through animals and through messages. For example, this morning I was smiling and laughing when I was, you know, picking a spider up off the windowsill because the spider has been showing up for me and I'm not very comfortable around spiders. So I sort of kind of laugh a little bit because the spider is really significant because if you really think about it, it's about weaving the tapestry of your own life right? It's the web. And in a web, there's so many different directions that you could actually go. But in in the process of it, you're building out the whole this beautiful web that's perfectly symmetrical. It, you can't even take a wrong turn because life is inviting you into learning and growing through your circumstances, right? Our circumstances, what we're navigating in our marriages, what we're navigating through our births, what we're navigating when we're carrying our babies, We're going to have obstacles, but those obstacles are our opportunities to grow as souls in this lifetime. And when we kick it up to that kind of macro perspective, those obstacles, we can almost embrace them if we see them as just a little pathway toward our own growth, right? It's not, they're not here to like knock us off our path. They're here to cause us to kind of pause and say, what is it that I know I need to do now? This is hard. I have hard decisions in front of me. Where am I called to grow in my character right now? Because this is super hard. Am I called to expand in my ability to hold more, right? Am I called to expand into patience, into courage, into my intuition, into hearing that voice within? What is it that I know I need to do now? And even in just asking myself that and thinking about your audience, I'm hearing the words like slow down, slow down, slow down. When we slow down, we can hear our inner self more clearly. And one of the best ways I do that is I'll go out into nature and I'll just no music, no podcasts, no anything to distract me. And I'll just listen to the natural rhythms of all that's happening around me. I'll hear the birds. Like I don't normally hear them when I have earbuds in. I'll hear the birds, I'll watch the bunnies, I'll feel the wind on my face, I'll notice my feet moving, and my intention is just to tune into reality. Because a lot of us are living in our heads. A lot of us are are living in the next thing we're going to do. A lot of us are going on that walk in order to stay physically fit, but we're missing it. We're missing the beauty that is existing all around us. And if you want inner peace, you can still get your walk in and feel strong and feel fit. But you can feel the peace that is already available to you around you that you're not tapping into because you're lost inside your own mind, either in the past, reflecting on that argument you had earlier, 
or the thing you didn't do yesterday that you now have to do today, or you're in the future thinking about where you need to go from here or the next thing you got to do, or you're worried about the time and now you're rushing. Cancel, cancel. We're missing it because we don't have the ability to manage our mind in the moment. We're losing the present moment awareness. So listening to nature really helps me anchor in to the now moment, which in that experience is healing my body, bringing my mind into connection with my soul and in connection to my physicality. Homeostasis, which is mind-body-soul alignment, is where we can release disease, where we can release stress, where we can release all that is harboring in the mind, in the body that is no longer serving us anymore. That's the quickest way to bring the body into harmony and into health is to align it into homeostasis. So that is what I'm focused on in most days, even though I'm, I have a lot on my plate. I am constantly finding time to align my mind, my body, and my spirit, my spirit being the number one. What is it that I know I need now? I need to get connected to the earth. Okay, Sierra, get outside. And when I'm outside, I'm not putting a podcast in. I'm breathing. I'm feeling the air. I'm noticing what's all around me. I'm hearing the cars, but I'm also seeing the bunnies. And I'm seeing the eagle that flies over my head. I live in Colorado now, just two years into my journey after leaving Southern California. So I'm experiencing life and I'm tuning into the natural rhythms of it. Anything there before I move on to your next question? No, I was just thinking it takes time to get there. Like what she's talking about, what Sierra is talking about, it doesn't happen overnight. And it's a years, honestly, years of process of releasing the contaminations within your life. And I call them contaminations. Other people may call them sins. Um, but I think contaminations is a great word. But it's like you don't realize how contaminated you are. And contaminations can come in forms of relationships that are really kind of dark, friendships that are dark, um, overworking like making a priority of just constantly working with other things, um, alcohol, drugs. I mean, we know those kind of contaminations, music, certain kinds of dark music. And it really is everything. I mean, I, it, I've done all kinds of spiritual work around the world and I've documented that process, but I've never found anything cleaner than like the Bible or Jesus. I just haven't. And I haven't, I haven't found a a cleaner line of energy ever, ever, ever. And this is not, you know, I don't know. I don't know anybody who has. (laughs) And so, and then you'll find through that, it's the same teachings of just getting away from these contaminations. And then you'll, then once your nervous system slows down, I've done a lot of podcasts recently on slowing the nervous system down, bringing down, like bringing in people that teach that, but only then can you get into the heart center because the heart needs to feel all these things. And then you have to scream, you have to shout, you have to feel the anger and those thoughts may come up and you may feel bipolar. So as your heart begins to open, a lot of people will have bipolar like emotions of these intrusive thoughts, you know, heart to mind, heart to mind, heart to mind. And, and the, and the heart will only be split seconds at first, and then the pain of the mind will be excruciating, but one day you'll explode, <laughs> and then you open. And then, then you can go on a walk without anything, and you can experience it. Otherwise, you're missing all of your life. 
I love where you're, so the therapeutic element, the backbone, the spine of, of my work, which my program is called becoming her is all nervous system. Because what you're saying is true. What you're saying is that you have to get out of fight or flight. And the way to get out of fight or flight is to move through it. You can't stop it. You can't just go out into nature and expect to have a quiet mind. No, no. You go out to nature and you observe the mind that is in fight or flight. That's all. You don't even have to expect that walk to be peaceful. Sometimes when I'm going on the walk, at least once a week, so not even sometimes, often, I call it breathing fire. I bring forth the fire within me that wants to come out, the very human part of me that's wanting to experience anger, rage, frustration. Listen, when you are far on your journey, I'm sure you'll believe you'll agree with me, Chelsea, on this one. The work is never done. The work is never done. We are always becoming, we are always becoming a new version of ourselves. The work is never done. So I'll go up on the mountain because I can walk up there from my house and I will deeply inhale, feeling my inhale, fill my, my belly center, which is the creative center. And I will exhale in a loud manner, almost as if I'm roaring. And I will get out that fire, that rage in a thoughtful container so that I'm not unconsciously bringing it forward in my home to my children, to my husband. If I don't breathe fire, which is what I call it in my teaching in an intentional way. And this really could look like hands on the steering wheel. You drop your kids off and then you just scream. Like you put on loud music and you just scream. But what I like to do is deeply inhale. And then I let out a soft, but furious, fast breath. I'm going to demonstrate it here. So I'm breathing in deeply and then I'm letting it go. And it's almost sounds like a lion's roar, but I'm not screaming. No one would call 911 on that mountain, right? But some of you may need to scream and let out that sacred rage. It's important. It's part of the process. So the nervous system really needs to go from fight or flight, which is a sympathetic dominant uh, state, to a rest and digest state. And this is where you're going to find perfect health. This is where you're going to find that homeostasis. So moving through the muck and the suck is important to be able to get to that deep breath, that feeling of peace and inner contentment. And you're going to be wobbling back and forth between the two, likely for your whole human life. So learning how to enjoy like releasing, letting go, learning how to choose thoughtfully the people you're going to spend time with, the activities you're going to engage in, the way in which you want to work, you know, and when you have that awareness of, I think I'm overworking myself. Great. That's feedback. Now dial it back. That's what your soul needs to be in health, to be in its vibrant stage. Dial it back. That voice of guidance is, is guiding you. You know when you're working too much. You know when you're eating poorly. You know when you're not sleeping well. So start to listen to that guidance. Prioritize sleep. Prioritize right relationship with work. Prioritize that conversation you don't want to have with your husband, but you know you need to have it because you can't stop thinking about it, Right? So now it's time to lean into the hard because as you do, you'll start to experience a little bit of freedom on the other side of it. We got to do hard things in order to be free in our lives. Mm -hmm. And any moment of disharmony, always as great as that disharmony is, always brings more harmony, in my opinion. I always like whenever people are going through something and it's like crazy and it seems chaotic, it's always the uprising that happens. And then there's like oh, harmony after because there has to be shaken up. 
But you were saying, what was I thinking as you were saying all those things? Oh, how do you teach? I can't remember what I was thinking, but it'll come back to me. Um, So let's talk about like basic things that moms go through that like, that I hear all the time. And one of them is body image. Okay. I hear it all the time. And then another one is the balancing of the work. What did you, like, do you feel like when does body image really heal as you're like growing babies and all those things? Like how do you work with women that are dealing with that? And then what about, um, you know, balancing work and, and work stuff is always another one. So what's wild about this, motherhood is so interesting because it almost invites us into healing the broken, fragmented pieces and parts of us that we didn't heal prior to that time. So when people come to me because they're, they're, sometimes people just come to me because they want to know their purpose. They like don't know who they are and they're feeling disconnected, but they know there's something more that they're called to do. No matter why they come, if they want to heal anxiety or they want to heal depression, or they're just like so freaking tired of waking up for the routine every day. Like these are reasons why people come. They will be called to confront the unhealed matters of their heart because the way into the heart is through self-love. And if they have body image stuff going on, there's a lack immediate awareness on my end as the coach, because this is where I started in my journey. Um, there's an immediate awareness of we've got to come into more love for the self because it's impossible to give out love to the other if we do not love ourselves wholly. We can be mad about maybe what we ate or how we looked, and then we'll try to overcompensate with eating differently or over-exercising. And that is a vicious cycle to be in. And that can be the reason why you may have shown up in a disempowering way to your kids. You yelled, you got angry, you you said mean comments that maybe weren't deserved to your husband, but it's a reflection of how you're relating to yourself with me on that. So there's no way this is like the most fascinating part when people think that marriage therapy is going to fix their marriage problems. It's like what we really need in this example is we need mirror therapy. We need to look in the mirror and we need to really recognize what's actually the source of my pain. Is it my relationship to me? Or is it my relationship to him? And most of the time, it's my relationship to me. So as I say in my marketing, often it takes one person to heal a marriage if both people got into it for the right reasons, one person. Because as the woman does that work, when she begins to look in the mirror and really like that version of her staring back at her, the marriage just really starts to heal on its own. And it's not effortless the way I'm making it sound. It will be full of opportunities, right? To learn and grow together, but it won't be an experience of sitting with the counselor, repeating back what the other person is saying and scheduling date nights and scheduling sex. That can literally kill a soul because if you're not feeling called to that and then you force yourself to do it, that's more, you're manipulating yourself. You're manipulating yourself into the things that someone else outside of you said will help you grow closer to your spouse. But the problem has always been that you aren't able to be close to yourself. And that's where we begin our work together. So the marriage sort of works itself out, but the woman must come into right relationship with herself. Here's why this is important. 
when I was growing up, I remember my mom, most beautiful woman. My mom was such a beautiful woman and she was going through a divorce. So I could feel her inner rustlings in her mind when she was looking in the mirror. So as a sensitive, empathic child, I could feel the dialogue that she was having with herself when she was looking in the mirror. And if I could put words to it, it would have been like, I don't look pretty enough. I'm not enough. Something's wrong with me. I need to be different. I need to be better. Why would he leave me for another woman? There must be something wrong with me. I could feel that as a young child. I could see this beautiful woman. Like we all, I think, feel our mothers when we're that young are like the most beautiful people, right? But I could feel that she didn't believe that about herself. And it was, it was, it was confusing to me. And what's interesting is in that process of me recognizing it, I unconsciously was imprinting that pattern into my own consciousness where I would look in the mirror and then be like, where do I need to be better? How can I be more perfect? How can I get other people to like me through the way that I look? Right. And then it becomes manipulative and then you can flip it and it's never like balanced. It's like, okay, well, let me use my looks for sex and then I'm going to get what I want from it. And yeah. I People unravel all these awarenesses like in our work together really quickly without me needing to really pull it out of them. They start to see it in themselves. I was speaking to another woman who she has a great marriage, but she just like doesn't feel called to have sex. And she had this aha moment about four weeks into our work together where she's like, Sierra, the reason why I don't feel called to have sex is because I used to have sex in order to get the validation, the love and appreciation and the adoration from the other. But my husband already gives that to me and no sex is needed in order to get that from him. He loves me so much. So what's wild about this is she used to have to work with her body for love, adoration, compliments. And now that she gets that from this kind, gentle-hearted man who adores her, she's not interested in sex. Well, that's why most people leave marriages or leave relationships is that like one, it's the same as when the nervous, so when, back to when the nerve, you're talking about the nervous system and getting out of fight or flight and getting into the ability to walk down the street and be in nothingness and be in being, which is actually the feminine nature of the woman. It's really frightening to get there when there's no chaos and there's no manipulation and there's no challenges and there's no essentially like insane growth. You're like, I'm bored. But boredom is the highest kind of yogic spiritual thing that there can be. Boredom is in being right. And so with her, I mean, like that's, I mean, that's, she just has to unprogram that like, it's just such a programming, you know? Well, the cool thing is all you have to do is become aware of it. And it gives right. you just a little more motivation to let's just say, create a new agreement within yourself. So that, that agreement could look like, and this is, this is what we, where we shifted it. As I said, one thing you're working on is actually to tap into your femininity And you can do that in many ways. You can, you know, uh, I recommend washing your body with intention in the shower. Most women are in and out washing their armpits, you know, very minimally, just like in and out, in and out. The shower has even become transactional. But what if we were to make the shower? You don't need much more time, a couple minutes. But what what if we were to make the shower an intentional act of self-love where you're washing your body with love for those pieces and parts of you that 
you've shamed like your belly that is now softer, right? Or my thighs are really muscular. I used to make them wrong ever since I was a young girl, like washing them now, especially as I get older, I'm so grateful for the muscle, you know, I'm so grateful for the muscle. And so washing the body with intention and appreciating it. Well, now what if we were to just move that experience into the bedroom where you're now playing with sensuality and getting into your femininity now in relationship, inviting your husband into it, inviting your husband into the act of physical intimacy. So it's not even about sex because you think you should be having sex. It's now a playground for you to explore your own femininity and you're, you're inviting your husband into that experience. So right. it's actually not for him now, it's for you. And we should always, this might sound selfish, but it's the least selfish thing you can do. We should always be doing things for us. Because if we're doing it for them, then resentment has the opportunity to build, right? You should never just be having sex for them. You need to create a new empowering reason to want to have sex for you. So you could be wanting to explore pleasure in new and different ways now that you're in a different body after having these children. So go into sex from a place of like, I want to know how good it can really feel. And what that might mean is you're called to use your voice in that relationship in new and different ways. And this is very, this will turn your partner on because they're experiencing you now in a different way. They'll experience you as someone who actually wants to be there, who actually wants to be in the room. And you're not doing it for them. You're doing it for you. I want to explore pleasure in new ways. I'm tired of living in a transactional experience in my life in general. I'm here to explore pleasure. You don't have to announce that, but he will feel the energy shifting when you're really there in that moment. And one final thing I'll note here, because this is so important for the mother. I want everyone, I want to challenge everyone to visualize the bedroom door, like the line crossing the bedroom door. Check your mind, leave that outside the bedroom, just close the door and cause yourself to be fully here, which means really challenge yourself to let go of what you have to do tomorrow, let go of what you didn't get done today. We do not want to bring that into the act of physical intimacy because that will block you from feeling pleasure. That's a disconnect from the mind to the body. The way an individual can experience pleasure in new and profound ways is when your mind is connecting to the body. And how I do that is I start to recognize what is real and true. He is touching my arm. So I'm using my mind to direct myself into the present moment. He's touching my leg. And then I'll use my voice to say, I like that. That feels good to me. I like that. That feels good to me. And now I'm noticing the next thing. Like I am enjoying kissing him. So I'll keep doing that. Okay, great. Now I'm not enjoying that. So now I'll pull back, right? So how we get into a new dance and rhythm with our partners is by acknowledging reality. He is touching my leg. I like that. I don't like that. Using our voice around it and putting ourselves in situations where we start to learn how to check our busy brain at the door so we can be fully here now in the act of physical intimacy. And guess what? It doesn't take long and it's going to be more pleasurable for you to engage in it. And it'll be less transactional. No one wants transactional sex, right? No one wants to do something just because they think they need to do it. Cancel, cancel. Start to learn how to enjoy it. And then you'll want to show up for it. You know, when you were talking about the shower, about taking time in the shower, it reminded me there's this like, I don't know if it's a meditation, but you're te- it's for children and 
really it's for us, but you're supposed to bless each part of your body. Like, I love you arm. Thank you for, you know, and I love you. I love you. Like all you say it out loud, like, and you teach your little kids that before they go to bed, it's like a bedtime thing. Like, I love you hands. Thank you for working for me. I love you. And then you're teaching, like I've taught it to so many kids and I try to teach it to my kids and I forget about it, but it's so powerful. Like we, and it's such like, it's like the, it's a, such a, I'm sure you've taught the healing of the inner child, but it's a really great way to get there. And then also when you were saying about doing it for other people, nobody really does anything for anybody else. Everybody, pretty much most things are done for selfishness. And if we even do that in a new way with sex, it's like, what can I get out of this? If you're not wanting to do it, it's like, what can I get out of this to make it more pleasurable for me and make it more of a selfish act? He's going to be fine with that. Oh, he'll be elated that yeah. you're you're really receiving pleasure and you're not faking it. You're not pretending. You're not trying to rush it to get it over. That alone will be such a turn on to know that you're fully there and fully available. But here's the thing. Let's kick this up to like a macro perspective. I think it's important to decide, are you going to be in this marriage, you know, for a long time? Because I, I really do. I am such a stand for marriages. A lot of people think they're heading toward divorce and then we work together and then they end up walking into the next iteration of their marriage. It just starts to happen. I'm such a stand for marriage. I think it's so important. I think the challenges in our marriage are actually part of what we need to walk through as individuals to grow stronger and who we are becoming and who God is causing us to become. Because maybe there's this thing you've envisioned you could do maybe as an entrepreneur one day, but right now it's not the time. You have two small kids at home. You're being groomed in patience, in leadership, in using your voice now in order to equip you for that thing you will be doing later. So all of your challenges in your marriage, in your parenting, with your girlfriends, with the friends you don't have, but you want to have, they are all your perfect opportunities to become the woman you're actually supposed to become. So embrace them and ask yourself, what am I meant to learn here? Stop pointing a finger. He did this. He's not doing that. She did this. She's not doing that. What's wrong with her? Cancel, cancel, turn it back on to you and just say, where am I called to learn and grow here? So if we pick it up to a macro perspective, if you're wanting to stay in this marriage, let that be a high motivation to show up in that bedroom on a day when you're like, it's time. We need this connection. I'm tired of wrestling things out with him with our words. It's not working. We're not getting anywhere. We keep having the same arguments over and over again. Cancel, cancel. In this case, sometimes people just need that physical connection. And then the words are just done. You just don't have to talk about that problem anymore because what Mm -hmm. you've always needed is the physical connection. And you're trying too hard to muscle it out with your mind and with your voice that if you were to just take it to the bedroom, you can bring harmony back into the relationship again. So just like I talked about mind, body, and spirit homeostasis, the couplehood needs to be tended to mind, body, and spirit. Body is important. We can work a lot out in the bedroom, not through words, but just through being together, like two bodies becoming one actually solves a lot of the energetic disharmonies and disconnections, but you really have to check your mindset at the door and be fully there to experience it or else it's transaction. Now, what would you say to a woman that just has like, I have an example of one. She says that he drinks too much alcohol. He's not present with the kids. He went, she went to a therapist and he, um, the therapist was like, 
it's not you, it's him. Like it was kind of obvious. Like, I mean, I didn't get too much into it with her, but I don't know. What do you say? What do you do when it's like, when it's really bad and she's a sweetheart? Yeah. Oh my goodness. This is coming up for a couple women that I'm working with now. Mm-hmm. And it does come up in my marriage. You know, I have a sort of a hard line. I don't really drink anymore. You know, I'll have a couple drinks casually because I like the taste of it. I don't believe we need to cut anything out cold turkey. Some people do, right? But I don't drink much. And it is a turnoff for me to like smell alcohol in my husband's breath and then have a physical experience with him. I'm not interested. So that's kind of a line I draw. It's like, I would much prefer to have be intimate with one another without alcohol included. And so I just want to share with you, uh, I wrote this note down to share with this client and I want to want to share how you might be able to work this through in this example. Here's the thing. We have to realize that we cannot fix and change another. So like you telling him to not drink, it's like he can't receive that until and actually do that until he sees within himself that he wants to not drink. Doing it for you is complicated, right? He's going to resent you for that. Ultimately, he needs to make the decision about drinking or not drinking. But what you can do is claim and decide that, hey, I'm not available for intimacy or sex when you're drinking alcohol. That can be a clear line that you can draw. And then he can decide, right, whether or not he's going to drink because he knows the outcome of whether or not you'll be available for that active physical intimacy. So one um, thought to consider is that the woman in this case has a choice. She can either live with her drinking husband in peace, right? Or she can constantly nag, bitch, and complain about the drinking. Right. She can just accept it. And then as if it changes, changes, it changes itself. And she didn't have to force it. Yeah. So I'm going to give you an exact dialogue. And I wrote this down to share with the client. I haven't shared it with her yet. I know. So you would say, sweetheart, I realize I have a choice. I'm either going to live with you as a drinker in peace or I'm not. And I want to live with you in peace. So I'm making it clear now that when you're drinking, I do not want to have sex. I'm clear about that now. Please forgive me for not sharing that with you sooner. And really, the husband hearing that, right, because it's wrapped in so much kindness, it's totally different than being defensive and, and making him wrong. It's just you standing for what you know you need now. So it's not about fixing and changing him. It's like, I want to live in peace. And it is your choice whether or not to drink. And I know for me, I'm not up for that, for having sex after you've had drinks. I'm sorry for not making that more clear. I want to have sex with you, just not when alcohol is involved. Are we clear? Right? Yeah, there's a book called, have you ever heard of the book called The Queen's Code? No. mm -mm. You should read it. it. It is... it's a really good book and it's like kind of one of those underground books but like thousands of people have read it and I give it to friends here and there and I forget the queen's code all the time I have to like open it up and look at notes and one of the ways she says it she's like because it's a way it looks like we know this you just have to be reminded of like what the man's role is and what the woman's role is and the way their brain works and the way our brain works and how they see things they only see one thing at a time like their entire role is a ma- if he's a male and a, a man in a, in a man's body 
you know, yep. an actual meal, then he's only focused on providing and anything else is not as important if it doesn't give the energy for providing. And right. so like taking out the trash is one example they use in the book. And she had to explain to him, this provides for me, you know, this, this, and this, when you take the trash out, I get this, you provide for me these things. And so it changed his whole perspective. And so it's like, when, when you drink, when you don't drink, it provides me safety, protection, trust or something. Right. And then he'll understand why you get a reaction from it. But the way they teach to talk to men, she says, what is it? It's like, I know you have a good reason for everything. And I'd really love to hear your reasoning for this or something like that. There's a way that she says it. And then you leave space. You're not supposed to speak again for five full minutes. You do not speak because what we do as women is we ask a question and they can only handle one question at a time. So you ask the question and then you give five full silent minutes for the answer and you do not try to answer it for them. Because we're always like, well, let me give you the answer because I know better than you, right? I mean, we know this, but it's like, if you actually do it, then they're like, oh, well, this is what I was thinking, you know? It's a profound way to to go at it. Like, you ask one question at a time, and then you don't ask more. Like, you let them speak, you know? Yeah. Like I remember doing that in my early personal development and really what I had to do is almost grab a stress ball to put in my hand because I constantly wanted to interject. And like, I really feel strongly, this is what's coming through my intuition right now. Like the man's voice needs to be heard in the world we're living in today. They are being suppressed, right? And weak. And the way we can encourage them to use their voice is by holding space to really listen. So what you're saying is pause for five whole minutes to just let them fill the space. Like try one, you know, like we're not even giving them one minute. We're not giving them one minute ever. And this is a product of a mismanaged mind for the woman. Yeah. And unfortunately, I'm such a stand for this. I, I feel like our early education period needs to be about learning about the mind and how to manage the mind. Mm -hmm. So it's unfortunate that you didn't get that growing up and our education system did not provide that. But this should be a baseline minimum for how to teach survival in today's world. We need to learn how to manage our minds. So women who are listening to this podcast, you might need a stress ball or a pen to click the top. Ask your husband that question and sit in stillness, but notice how wild your mind is. Notice how you want to fill the space. Notice what you want to say and don't say it. And that will be a signal to you to get the support you need to manage your mind. You can get yourself to a place where you can really hear the other and not be thinking about what you're going to say next. You can train your mind to do that. It just takes a little bit of work. And that's where you're going to find peace. It's through mind management, through learning how to be here now with the person you're with. You know, in this dialogue right now between me and you, I can feel you're hearing me. I feel I'm hearing you. I'm not thinking about what I'm going to say next. And you probably don't even have a list of questions. You're just letting what comes up for you come up. This is a co-creation. Me being with Chelsea, Chelsea being with me. This is where marriage will feel really good, to be in a co-creative dialogue where there's no agenda, there's nothing to say, there's nothing that you've built up over time. You can just check in. Hey, honey, how's it going? Like, what's coming up for you? How are you feeling about our marriage right now? Having weekly or monthly meetings where you sit down and run through a series of five questions where you both just listen is hugely healing for the partnership because it's a check-in. It's an intentional check-in point. And you just listen. You ask 
each of you take turns asking the questions and then you just listen to the response and you just in a way almost nod like oh yeah like it's it's a feeling of thank you so much for sharing like i'm so glad to actually know what you're thinking because in my mind i thought you were thinking something different i thought i had done something wrong right here but i didn't know that you were actually in charge of layoffs for your job at work damn that's stressful here I am making it mean something about me. Like I did something wrong, not knowing you were carrying that much weight on your shoulders, right? It's wild that we make up these stories. They're not true and they're not rooted in reality. The only way we can understand what is real and true is when we ask the question. We have to be willing to listen. And and the listening will make him know that you're not trying to control him in some way, you know, of like, well, you asked me the question and then you're trying to redirect the conversation. It's just like these subtle ways that we try to control the dialogue. So it allows yeah. space. Yeah. I mean, it's this, a, I mean, the, the book, go, if anyone wants to read it, it's called the Queen's Code. We could go on and on with this yeah. one conversation because the yeah. question is, why do we want to control it? Yeah. We want to control it. It's because we want to be right about that. Right. Cancel, cancel. Life will get really good when you realize you're actually wrong about that. And you're lying to yourself about most everything. Exactly. You're living in <laughs> stories you tell yourself that are not true. Right. This husband-wife example is such a good one. You think that because he hasn't complimented you when you actually do your hair and get dressed up that you're not hot, right? Or you're not sexy or beautiful to him. But cancel, cancel. How do you know? How do you know if you haven't asked him? He's lost in his own mind, overwhelmed with the kids, overwhelmed with the responsibilities. He's not even checking in with himself to, to even notice and look. And it's not his problem. It's just that he hasn't been invited into looking at you and noticing you in that way, right? And so you make it mean something about you, but you don't have to do that anymore. Because if you were to just ask him, hey, babe, how do I look? Now you're inviting him in to actually noticing you, right? And then he'll share with you his response. But just because he's not bringing that forward doesn't mean he doesn't believe that about you. But you make it mean more than what you need to make it mean. And that's the source of your, your frustration and your confusion and your disconnect is the stories that you tell yourself that are not true. And being right about that is a trap. Right. You're just trying to prove that you're right about it. So you'll create, you'll create a scenario where you, you prove you're right. We I mean, we, anybody hope everybody knows that you do that, but when you do, if you don't know that you try to prove yourself right, even in your wrong, it's amazing when you find out your ignorance. Some people do the opposite, you know, who have really low self-esteem and confidence. They actually believe that they're wrong all the time. Right. That's true too. That's really sad. Yeah. If you had a parent that was constantly making you wrong growing up and you felt it's all my fault, it's all my fault. That's the scenario where the woman in the room with the husband is like, what did I do wrong? Mm. Right. But cancel, cancel. You didn't. That's the small child within you that is emerging in the space that showed up when you were three, four, five, six, seven years old that felt like it was your fault. It's not your fault. And the only way to get clear about that is to check in. We have to learn how to have these conversations with the people in our lives to understand what is real and true, because we're not living in reality when we're living in the past and when we're living in the future. 
We are not living in reality. We are living in the stories that we're making up about what we could do, what we should do, what they should do, what they could do, all the things. It's so messy. And that's why my management is so important in support of the soul guidance. Beautiful. Before, as we like closing up, what would be the your number one or maybe number one and two things that you would teach somebody to do daily for self-love? I mean, I love the example of washing your body with intention, just to highlight what we've already talked about. Mm-hmm. Just like recognize those places and sp- spaces that you blame, shame, and make wrong and just start to see, like just start to be with your thoughts about it. You don't even have to change them. Like you don't have to love your C-section scar. You don't have to love your pooch. Like you don't have to love any of that. Just like observe yourself in the shower and just observe possibly how mean you can really be to yourself. That's the first step towards self-love. It's really seeing yourself in reality and how mean you can really be to your body. Once you see it, once you see your thoughts and once you are with them for a little bit longer, then you have the opportunity to change them then you have the opportunity to change them. So that's step one. The next step is specifically with nourishment to be kind to yourself and do good things for yourself. So that means eat real food, eat real food, not processed food, drink water slowly and with intention and visualize yourself flushing out dis-ease, flushing out stress, flushing out dark gray stuck matter with water. So it's bringing intentionality to your water. That means you're not chugging it just because you are you know you need more water today. You're actually like using water, something you do every day as an act of self-care where you're tending to your physical body. The third thing would be movement. You know, this is basic nourishment. Are you moving in order to look good, to be fit, to project an image forward? Like check in with your body. How do I want to move today? And just start to like hear your inner guidance system speak. If you're forcing yourself to go to the gym and it doesn't feel good to you and you're lifting weights and you're sprinting and you're doing all the things, you might be called into a season of slower, more grounded movement, slow walks or yin yoga or just stretching in general. Check in with your body and let it guide your food, your water, your movement and your sleep. And just start to get your baseline rhythms into a healthier place. That's always where I recommend starting. We have to go back to basics and look at what we're putting in our body and in our minds in order to come into right relationship with the totality of who we are. I love that. I teach that like with Maslow's hierarchy is like always go back to the hierarchy of like, what are your needs? I don't know if you know Maslow's hierarchy, but it's- Yes, I do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, how can people find you? That was so beautiful. Everything you said. Thank you so much. Yeah, this has been so fun. Um, they can go to my website, sierraburton.com, C-I-A-R-A-B-U-R-T-O-N. You can put that in the, the notes so they can find me. I know my name is C-I-A-R-A. It's spelled a little bit differently, but I also offer complimentary sessions. You know, what I do is not conventional. It's unconventional. And that's how we get such profound results. You know, it's different than going to therapy. It's different than Reiki. And it's different than seeing a healer. It's totally different. It's an integrative approach. And so I always offer for podcast listeners, for your guests, if they want to hop on the phone with me, I'm happy to give them, you know, a 30 minute experience where we're identifying the energetic root cause of the problems they're experiencing. So they'll walk away with that awareness. And if they want to ask me about becoming her, which is where we'll actually do the work together, 
they can ask me about that. So how you can get on my calendar is you can email me Sierra, C-I-A-R-A at Sierra Burton, B-U-R-T-O-N dot com and just say, send me the link to book a call and I'll send you the link to my calendar and we'll meet one-on-one. Beautiful. Thank you. You're welcome. So great to meet you.